John chapter 12, as we look at uh, a large section of scripture. Now, I, I, I want to warn you, kind of, um, that we're going to cover a, a big piece of the Bible, and for some people, that can be a struggle. Um, my prayer is that eventually you will, you know, you'll like uh, covering just large portions of the Bible um, because it's God's truth in a land of lies because it, is, uh, it feeds our soul. You know, and so when you go to some churches, they don't really teach the Bible. They'll tell you all the other things, all the experiences in psychology and sociology, things like that. Other churches will teach you, you know, perhaps topically, like, you know, a topic here, a topic there. But one of the things about Calvary Chapel, just in case you didn't know, is God gave us the conviction just to teach through the Bible. And so you can start from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And the reason for that is because if I just taught what I want to teach, <laughs> then, you know, you're just getting my opinions and you're getting my interests and my hobby horse and this week's is, you know, that legislation and that, you know, different things like that. But when you just are, are, are teaching through the Bible, then God is the one who decides what's going to be taught and you get the full counsel of God. And so just in case you're wondering, wow, we're going to cover a lot of scriptures and he's going through this today, my prayer is that eventually you would develop an appetite for the Bible. Not only that, here's the thing. We're going to cover a lot of verses, and you're, I'm not going to be able to you know, you know, um, ex expose or teach everything about it. So here's my challenge to you. You go home with your wife, you go home with your kids or your friends, and you read it yourself, and you study it out. You're going to get so much more out of it. I hope that you guys are reading your Bibles at home, because imagine what would happen to you if you only ate once a week. Um, we would be weak huh, if we only ate once a week. Some of you are like, hey, that'd be good. I, I'd lose weight. No, it's not a good thing. <laughs> I, my prayer is that you would just like Psalm 1, that you'd be meditating in his word every day, day and night. Okay, so today we covered John 12. We'll see if we go through 12 through 50. We see, first of all, Jesus Christ, and we're going to see the day and the presentation of Jesus to Israel, really to the world, and when we're going to see the hour, how the hour finally came for Jesus to die. And then we're going to look at Christians, and we're going to see a few things, among a million things here, but a few things kind of stood out to me. Number one, the battle to believe. Number two, the duty to die. And then number three, the courage to confess. And so we begin in verse 12. It says, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, most of you are familiar with Palm Sunday. Uh, we actually taught this not too long ago in depth, and so we're not going to cover it as in depth this time. But can you visualize Jesus coming down uh, the Mount of Olives, and he's riding on a donkey, the colt, the, uh, you know, and he's and all the people are on the sides of the roads, and they're waving their palm branches. 
Palm branches are symbolic of victory. You're going to see them also in heaven. Palm branches are going to be there. Palms were all over the temple. You see in Israel today, many palm trees. All that is, is indicating victory. And so they're there, and as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, it, it, he, he, he almost did it himself. He said, hey, go get a donkey. It's never been ridden on and set him up because I'm going to present myself to the people. Now, he had never done that. Prior to that, he would actually shy away from such things. But this was the day that the Bible had predicted that the Messiah would be presented to Israel. You, know, you go back to Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and it has the 70 weeks of Daniel. And there in verse 25, it says that the Messiah, the prince, would come. The Messiah, the prince, would come after 62 weeks and seven weeks, which is 69 seven-year periods. And so it says, when the command goes out to go and rebuild Jerusalem, then after 69 seven-year periods, the Messiah would come. Now that's just a clear prophecy. And so you go back in history, March 14th, 445 BC, you count 69 seven-year periods, it's 173,880 days, and that leads you to April 6, 32 AD, the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was Palm Sunday. You know, you read the Bible, and it's just so amazing to me how these prophecies, they prove that the Bible's uh, supernatural and divine in origin, they prove that of the scriptures, they prove he's our savior. And so this is Palm Sunday, and this is why it was such a, a big day. Uh, right here, as they're, they're going in, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, now that's a Hebrew word for save now, deliver now, Lord. And it's a, it's a messianic psalm. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. In that psalm, it says that, 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 they, that they rejected the chief cornerstone. It's that psalm that says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then it goes on to say, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. And, and what we find is that that whole section in Psalm 118, a messianic psalm, speaks of the day the Lord has made. Now, we sing that song. Do you guys ever sing that song? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's a beautiful song. We got to get you guys singing it one day because it'll be fun. But it's not really meant for every day. That psalm is meant for this day, the day that Jesus was presented to Israel. And it's interesting because later on in Luke chapter 19 in verse 42, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he knew they didn't really mean what they said, that they ultimately they would reject him. And he said, if you only knew this, your day. But now it's hidden from your eyes. And so this is a huge uh, uh, prophecy. Here you see Jesus coming on a donkey. And what that is in reference to is he's coming in peace. And what they were saying is, Lord, save now, uh, overthrow the Romans. But Jesus came for something more than that. You know, amazing prophecy, the triumphal entry. But in verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. 
And so while it was going on, they didn't understand the scriptural support. They didn't know Zechariah 9.9. They didn't know Psalm 118. They didn't know Daniel chapter 9. But afterwards, they were able to put everything together and realize that this is about the Lord and all these things are fulfillment of prophecy. People were there pointing to Jesus. There were those on Palm Sunday and then even others. Look what it says in verse 17. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Now we read in John chapter 11 how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the grave. And so you got all these people on Palm Sunday and you got these guys who saw the resurrection. They're all just telling people about Jesus. And that's why there were so many people there. Listen, I, I hope that you guys know that you can tell people about Jesus and you can invite people. And, and man, that's how you know, people get saved. That's how you know, churches grow. Uh, as the pastor feeds the sheep, then the sheep beget the sheep. That's what was happening right here. It wasn't Jesus going out and inviting people. It was the people inviting the people. Who do you know in your life that needs the Lord? Who do you know in your life that, that needs to come to church? Invite them. Don't be afraid. This is what we see that was happening right here. And this is why the people were gathering around. But not everyone is happy about this witness. There were the religious leaders led by the devil. And these guys, they didn't even know it. Look what it says in verse 19. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, there were those excited about Jesus, but then there's the devil and his demons influencing individuals trying to stop the work of the Lord. You guys know, huh? There is a battle. There is a battle. That's why sometimes it's so hard for you because there's a battle for you. And that's why sometimes it's hard for others because there's a battle for them. And what the Pharisees were, they were these guys, and the crazy thing about it is that they were the religious leaders. They were like the pastors. They were like the priests. They were like the guys on TV that said they were Christians, but they really weren't. Listen, just because someone writes a book or is on the radio or is on television or is a pastor, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're of God. These guys right here, they were Pharisees, and that means that they were very self-righteous. They were caught up in religion. You know, there are some people who think that you know, the church is about a whole bunch of rules and regulations, and, and, and what we have to understand, you guys, is listen, my personal convictions might be different than your personal convictions, and if I get all religious on people, then that, that actually might turn them away from the Lord. Listen, my message is to tell them, listen, God loves you. Jesus died for you, you know, and, and, and come to him and he'll help you, man. I mean, what we find is that these religious leaders, uh, they were all caught up in it for politics and for themselves. And they were upset that Jesus was taking away their followers. And really, ultimately, at the end, Pontius Pilate said that the reason they delivered Jesus to be crucified, because they were envious of him. I remember there was a, uh, was a time in my life where I started leaning towards legalism. I started leaning towards like judging people. 
and judging Christians and, oh, you're not as good of a Christian as I am, you know, because uh, you do, you know, this and I would never do that. And, and it's even a, not even clear in Scripture, but I made it clear. I made it a black and white issue when it was really a gray issue, you know. And you don't read as much as, as I do in the Bible. You don't pray as much. You're not going to church as much or whatever. And, you know, I mean, you name it. There's so many things where we can become Pharisees and legal. I was leaning towards that. Thank God the Lord did not allow me to follow through with that because it's a horrible place to be. A lot of times people think like the more like strong you are as a Christian, the more rules and regulations you have. But listen, that's not the way it is. The more stronger you are as a Christian, the more you're like Jesus. That's how it works. These Pharisees, they were so lost. Beware of religion. Beware of rules and regulations. Beware of trying to earn favor with God based on your own behavior. You know, the, the, the times where we put traditions over truth. Listen, there is a beautiful, wonderful, powerful simplicity of Christ. The Pharisees, unfortunately, they didn't have that. And they were trying to stop Christ and they were now upset with each other because they weren't able to. They said right there in the end of verse 19, look, the world has gone after him. I wish the world would go after him. But we read in verse 20 that there was something going on, a good thing. It says in verse 20, now, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him saying, sir, We wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. In turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so this is a big thing, just in case you didn't know. I mean, up to this point, it's hard for us to fathom the thought, but the Jews thought that they were the ones that were going to get saved, not others. Uh, Some of the rabbis even taught that the only reason non-Jews were made was to fuel the fires of hell. Thank God that's not true. Uh, Any any Latinos here? Aren't you glad about that, man? I mean, thank God for the whole world, how God loves all the different nationalities. Here come the Greeks. They want to see Jesus. That's a big thing. Jesus doesn't have time, though. And this time it's different. I think this is probably the only time in the Bible where you see that he's not really allowed, he's not going to meet with them, you know, because normally he would. The kids come, he said, oh, come on, you know, let the children come to me. Don't forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. I mean, you know, he would never say no, but right here something changes, something shifting. We move now from the day to the hour. And the Lord says right here, um, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You know, up to this time, his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 7, verse 6, John chapter 7, verse 8, he, he talked about that. John chapter 7, verse 30, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. We see the same thing in John chapter 8, verse 20. And so his hour had not yet come. We read it over and over and over again until finally, now, his hour has come. And then what was true for Jesus is true for us. 
You know, I, I've been going to so many funerals lately. Um, last Friday, I did a funeral for a, a, a lady, same age as me, very young, very young. Uh, I was thinking about Elvis. I guess uh, the movie for Elvis is out. He, I didn't realize he was only 42 years old. I was looking at all the funerals that I've done. I, I looked on my computer, and I have all these funerals. And we're talking about, I remember for Eric, he was only... Um, nine years old, or eight, eight or nine years old. I was thinking of Nadine. I was thinking of all these funerals, all these people that are in glory. Because eventually the time came, their hour had come. None of us knows our hour. You know, uh, some of us were called to run a marathon, and you're going to live a long life. Some of you guys, it's, you know, a hundred-yard dash. God's going to call us home sometime this year. I mean, it's crazy when you look at these things. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. Now, I hope that you guys look at that in both positive and, and negative, or primarily positive, because number one, you, you can't die until God says so. I call it the invincible principle. They tried to kill him, they tried to kill him, they tried to kill him, they couldn't kill him because his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. You don't have to be afraid. But then eventually, now there, there's a time you know, to die. I remember when my kids were born. Um, some of you ladies here, you might remember, you know, you were pregnant and then the day came and it was time to give birth. Huh? Some of you got crazy, crazy pain. I remember my wife, uh, for both of our children, the water broke. And so we knew it's time, right? Time for them to be born. You know, eventually we're going to see, like Ecclesiastes says, is a time to be born and a time to die. This was Jesus' time. You know, this is him saying, I, I, I got to prepare to die and I have to prepare you guys for when I die. Verse, verse 24, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You know, he's about to die and he wants to tell them, listen, it's a positive thing. Right here, the Lord is speaking about his own death. Um, and we're going to see that because of the fact that Jesus died, um, there's fruit. You know, some of you guys here, you used to be addicted to, to drugs and alcohol. Some of you guys here were addicted to sexual adventures, or maybe you cuss like a sailor. Um, you name it. There's a lot of different things that we come from, you know, violent backgrounds. You did time in prison. I mean, there's just so many things. And God, we would have stayed there, and we would have died there. And we would have lost our life, never had a family, never had anything good if it were not for the fact that Christ came in and saved us. And what we find is because he died, there's fruit. You're the fruit. And, and at the same time, we see that the principle is true for all of us. You know, for us, the same is true. You know, I wanted to bring a seed, and I, man, I forgot to bring it. I had it all washed up and ready to show you an avocado seed, right? Beautiful. And so I can take this avocado seed and I could keep it on my desk. It's kind of nice or whatever. I can use it as a paperweight. I don't know. You name it. You know, but once the avocado seed goes into the ground and dies, not until it dies can it bear fruit, right? 
And that's what Jesus is saying here. And next thing you know, I mean, avocado trees, I don't know if you knew this or not, they can grow up to 80 feet tall. That's twice the size of a, of a telephone pole. I mean, they can get huge. They can have uh, 300 avocados at one time after only five years, and then about 15 years it takes uh, to, for them to reach fully, uh, full maturity. They're excellent sources of vitamins E and C and K and potassium and so many things. They taste so good in guacamole, right? I mean, they help reduce heart disease. They're good for gut health. Uh, there's a, they're a rich source of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds and so many things, right? So they say it's a smart choice during pregnancy and during breastfeeding. And a lot of things about the texture about them, everything, the color, you know, but it would never happen unless that seed died. And, and what Jesus is saying here, not just me, I'm going to die and I'm going to bring forth fruit, but you need to die too. You're not going to ever bring forth fruit to the glory of God until you take up your cross and you follow him. And he's going to talk about this. Look what he says in verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. You know, something interesting here. Jesus is about to die. And, and, and there's two things that just stand out to me so, so powerfully. Number one, he's going to prepare himself to die. He will prepare himself to die. But he has to prepare his disciples because he's about to die. And I think that in one sense, we all should have that mentality. We need to prepare to die. We need to prepare. Are you ready to die? Because none of us have tomorrow guaranteed. You got to make sure that you are a, a, a genuine, blood-bought, bona fide believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not just playing church. Because just because an individual goes to church doesn't mean they go to heaven. You have to make sure that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again and that you place your faith in him because it's not a religion. It's a relationship. So we have to be ready to die. I have to be ready to die. I have to have life insurance. There are some things still that I need to get ready for because what if my wife and I died in an accident together? Would my kids be okay? I mean, what about the church? There, we have to be ready to die. But we also have to prepare others for you know, when we die. I, I want to finish my race. They say that a pastor, when he preaches, he should preach as a dying man to dying men. And that's why you never, I, I, I can never say a prayer at city council. I, I could never preach the gospel I mean, and preach a, a study without prayerfully pointing you to Jesus because he's the answer. And right here, you know, the Lord says, unless the seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it, if it does die, then it brings forth fruit. And he goes on to talk about how, how some people, they... they they hold on to their own life and their own will, and they're going to end up losing it. It says right here in verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it 
for eternal life. Now, hate is not to be taken literally. I don't think that you guys need to go and become a monk and, you know, deprive yourself of everything that, you know, is enjoyable in life. That's not what he's talking about. Hate right here is a cultural comparison that promotes priority. Jesus said something similar in Luke 14, 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, here's the thing, okay? Do you think that God wants you to hate your family members um, in the sense that, you know, in the pure sense of the word? Or how many of you think that he wants you to love your wife? If, you have, if you're married, does, do you think he wants you to love your wife? You're sure, huh? Because he said, you better love her, dude, or if not, I'm, I'm not going to hear your prayers. It says that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And so, yes, we are called to love. It says that in Ephesians 5 as well. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and died for her. So what is he talking about right here? Do you think you're called you know, to, to love your parents? Yes, you're called to love them, your children, your brothers and sisters. So he must be talking about something different. And what it is, like I said, it's a cultural expression, a cultural comparison that only promotes priority. And what that means is that, yeah, I love my wife. I love my kids like crazy. There are no words to articulate how much I love them. But when you compare my love for God, God is first. Because if I put my wife before God, that's idolatry. I put my kids before God, that's idolatry. That's all he's saying. And so when he says, you know, if anyone seeks to save his life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, then you're going to save it. If you don't hate your life, you can't be my disciple. What is he basically saying? He's just saying to us, listen, I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. Follow me. Follow me. I love you. Don't just do your own thing. I got to share this with you guys. You know, I've done a lot of funerals. And I don't know the words. And so forgive me, you guys, if I'm messing up on this. But I've done a lot of funerals where they played the song by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. I'm like, man, that's probably not a good funeral song. (laughs) I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But... We, we can't say that. We have to do it his way. You've probably heard the story of four people who were enjoying an airplane flight. One was an Ivy League graduate. One was a Boy Scout. One was a Christian counselor. And then there was the pilot. Suddenly, the plane's engine went out, and there was no hope to land the plane. At that point, the pilot comes out, and he tells the guy, sorry, but there's only three parachutes and four people on this plane I'm the pilot, this is my parachute, I deserve to live. And he jumps out with his parachute pack. Immediately, the Ivy League graduate rises up and says, I'm an Ivy League graduate and the smartest man in the world, so I deserve to live much more than you two. So he puts on the pack and jumps out of the plane. The Christian counselor then turned to the Boy Scout and said, you take the last one. I'm a Christian, I'm good, I got a home in heaven, I know where I'm going. I've lived my life. You're still young. You have your whole life ahead of you. At that point, the Boy Scout said, that's okay, sir. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. (laughs) Imagine that. Now, that's a silly story. I know it's a silly story. But there are some people like that. 
Like, do you know who I am? I'm an Ivy League graduate. Do you know the talents I have? Do you know who I am? I got this plan for my life. And they take the pack and they do their own thing to their own ruin. I think this is the way that we should do it, honestly. Uh, I think that the way that we should live life is get on your face. Get on your face. Get on your knees. And ask God, what, why did you make me? What do you want me to do for you? When you knit me together in my mother's womb, I know your word says that all my days were written in your book and you had a destiny for me. So Lord, what do you want me to do? Because it might be different than what you think. And I believe with all my heart that you can go and you can do your own thing, but it will never fill the void within you. It'll never satisfy you if you just do your thing and you don't do what God made you to do. And I'm not saying everybody has to be a, whatever, a pastor, a missionary. I mean, so many of you guys, I'm so grateful that we have Christian teachers in public schools, that we have Christian police officers and sheriffs and firefighters and people, you name it. It can be in politics or Hollywood. I mean, you name it. I don't know what it is, but I do know that whatever it is, let it be something that you prayed about and that God showed you to do. But I do think of missionaries like Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China. And he did what was called the exchange life. He said, China. I think of David Livingston. They, you know, this guy was used greatly in Africa. I mean, helped, you know, build the roads and save the souls. And when he died, they buried him in Europe, but they buried his heart in Africa. I think of someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor during uh, World War II, and he opposed the Nazis. Most of the church was capitulating to them, but he didn't, and he took a stand, and he died as a martyr, and he, he continues to teach the church today. Because your ministry, it doesn't end when you die, when you do what God's called you to do. I think of someone like Jim Elliott. He graduated from Wheaton College in 1949, and man, he could have done anything he wanted. He was such a brilliant young man, but he gave up a guaranteed easy life in the States, and he chose rather to head for the jungles of Ecuador because he had heard about the Alca Indians, the savages there, who didn't know the Lord, and they had killed every other missionary that ever came to them. And he was drawn to them. He was drawn to go where Jesus' name had not been spoken. And so he went as a young man. And you guys probably remember the story, you know, amazing story how he went. And what ended up happening is, you know, he was there with four other missionaries and they had their guns. But they had made a pact. They said, if the Indians come after us, we won't kill them. Because when we die, we know we're going to heaven. And if they die, we know they're going to hell. So they ended up getting speared to death. Imagine that, this guy who had his whole life ahead of him. Brilliant young man, gifted in so many ways. You read his journals and it's amazing. So you might wonder, well, then how in the world, how is that good? The answer is this, you know, that he was called to save the Alka Indians by laying down his life. 
Because after he died, his wife and his friend's sister went in and the whole tribe got saved. And you might wonder, well, how does that work? And I love the quote that we know Jim Elliott most for. It says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're holding on to something that is temporary. You're holding on to something that will never satisfy. You're going to hold on to something that you cannot keep. I mean, if you're not a fool, if you, if you, if you just, man, what you got to do, you got to live for that which you can never, ever lose. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I know recently my wife and I, we, we were looking at our, our wedding video and, uh, you know, at the end of the wedding, uh, the, the, the videographer, she, uh, she interviewed us. And she says, hey, what are you going to do? You know, like, what do you look forward to? And at that time, we didn't have a clue, really. I had no idea that God wanted me to be a pastor. But I just knew one thing. I just knew that God would lead us. And he will lead you. This is what we have to do in life. You know, Jesus goes on and talks about the fact that it's not going to be easy. In verse 27, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. You know, John doesn't record the agony in the garden. This is his version of it, where Jesus said, this is not easy. I'm in turmoil. But, you know, as he's praying to his father, he said, but what should, should I say, you know, save me from this hour? No, it was for this reason that I was born. He was born to die. In one sense, we all were born to die to self. One day you will die and you will leave a legacy. And your legacy will live on. Because I believe that God is going to do something beautiful in this church. Something beautiful in you. It will bring him glory. That's what we see the Lord talk about right here. And it's just so cool because as the Lord is there praying, and that's what you got to do as you're taking up your cross, you're denying yourself, and you're just being honest with God, and you're just talking to him. It's so cool how the Lord answers, and he answers in thunder. In this case, it was like a thunderous voice. Yeah, Did you guys enjoy that uh, thunder this last week and lightning? Did you guys enjoy that? Uh, they said it, oh yeah, Larry, my, my, my brother-in-law said it hailed where they were. I told my son, hey, God's going bowling. That's kind of what it sounds like. It's so beautiful, huh? But you know, the father spoke so that the other people could know this is real. What we're doing here today, what we're talking about, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords who's coming, we're talking about how God can change a life and save a life and how he saved your life. And when you die, you don't have to worry because you're forgiven, you're free. This is real. This is real. The, right? the father spoke, and Jesus said, well, so that you can know what I'm talking about is true. He goes on in verse 31. Now, is the judgment of this world? Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. You know, as Jesus died on the cross, 
he defeated the devil because the devil's weapon was death. But Jesus defeated death by dying on that cross and rising again. And so in one sense, the devil has his rule. He's the ruler of this world. That's why you see things so crazy. That's why I trip out. I'm like, man, you know, whatever. It could be presidents or prime ministers or people who are leading countries. And I just think to myself, how could they be so blind, so backward? And the answer is because in many ways, God has given Satan. We have forfeited it at the Garden of Eden, the title deed to the earth. And so you have these rulers that are so lost, right? But right here at the cross, Jesus defeated them. It says in verse 32 that if I'm lifted up, you guys remember that any of you guys see the passion of the Christ? Remember when they lifted up Jesus on the cross? That's what he's talking about. If I'm lifted up, I will draw people to myself. I don't know what draws you to Christ. I don't know for sure. You know, maybe it's because, I don't know, you like the songs or whatever. You like the church setting. It's a good moral atmosphere. Um, Maybe it's just because he saved you and he set you free. Those are all great things. But ultimately, my prayer is the draw. The draw would be that he was nailed to a cross for you. Because that's something that can't change. Churches sometimes change. People change. Things change. That never changes. And he said, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw people to me. Because you know what that means? That means that there's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Because if he died for you while you were a sinner, imagine that. So this draws us. Jesus here is talking about his death. And in verse 34, the people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? And that was a messianic title. You know, they thought again that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right there and then and rule forever. And it's true that the Messiah would do that, but not yet. Okay, the things that we see going on in Russia right now, in Ukraine, in the Middle East, the things that we see going on all around the world, the rise, the aggression of the homosexual community. I mean, we see it in movies. We see it everywhere. All those are signs of his return. So he will eventually reign forever and ever. But before that, They didn't realize there would be two comings. Before that, there was a cross. So Jesus said to them, because they're questioning him, right? They're questioning him. Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. He would go and now he's got to get ready for the cross. We're just a a couple of days away. And so the Lord is saying that he was there. Unfortunately, they were questioning him. It wasn't time to question him. It was time to believe. It was time to walk. It was time to live the life because they had an opportunity. They had a window of time right there. 
where Jesus was there as their light. And all of us have a window of opportunity. And I have to ask myself, and you have to ask yourself today, do you believe? Do you really believe? Are you living, am I living the life? Because if not, you know, it might turn around in ways that we don't like. Look what we read in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Isaiah 53, verse 1. Therefore they could not believe it, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, that they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. You know, again, there's a lot here. To make it simple, I would just put it this way, that if you sense the Lord calling you and speaking to you, and you're like, nah, not right now. Ah, not right now. I'm going to do my own thing for a little longer. Maybe tomorrow. You know, maybe next year. You know, maybe when this happens. What Isaiah was saying is saying right here is that you shouldn't wait because it might be too late. There, there was a time when where people won't do it, which can eventually lead to a time where people can't do it. Our Pharaoh hardened his heart five times. Nope, 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 until finally God hardened his heart. And then it was too late. We can never live a perfect life. I mean, we try, but we can't. But I want to encourage you guys to live this life, not just Sundays. And you live it one day at a time, and I go home and I wake up, and I have my cup of coffee, and I read my Bible, and next thing you know, I'm with my wife. What are we going to do today? Okay, she wants to do that. Okay, you try to make her happy. You know, and then there's the kids, and Aaron comes home from work last night. Hey, Dad, help me wash the car. And part of me wants to say, well, you, you, you can't wash it yourself. I mean, you know, but, but, but hey, I just praise God, and I'm like, thank God that he wants, he, he doesn't need my help but he wants to do it together. There's something about doing things together that cuts your sorrows in half and doubles your joys, right? And I thank God for that. And you just live your life. Next thing you know, hey, she asked me, you want to pray? Or I'll ask her, do you want to pray? We're reading our Bible or watching a live stream, Pastor Raul. I mean, you just live your life. Go to a funeral. And one day at a time, you're trying to do the right thing. You know, don't be a poser. Don't be a pretender. Don't be a plastic Christian. This is what he's saying right here, because if you wait, eventually it it might be too late. Isaiah wrote these things. It says in verse 41, when he saw his glory and spoke of him. When did Isaiah see his glory? Now, it might just be in reference to the fact that he's receiving the revelation, but more than likely, it's Isaiah chapter 6. You guys get a chance to go and read it. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the glory, and the pillars of the temple were shaking, and the angels were shouting. I mean, it's just a beautiful... When you think of Jesus, you understand, man. I mean, he was high and lifted up. But we read in verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. 
But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They didn't say so openly, lest they should be put out or banned from the synagogue. For they loved the praise or approval of men more than the praise or approval of God. You know, I talked earlier about how in one sense it's the day, in another sense it's the hour. That's about Christ. But for us as Christians, it's the battle to believe. It's the duty to die, but it's the courage to confess. Here you have these guys. They believed in Jesus intellectually, but they were wimps. They were afraid to openly confess that he was their savior, that they believed in him because they were afraid of what these men would say, the wanted the approval of men. And I want to encourage you guys, whatever you do, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Be bold at work. Be bold wherever God might put you. I mean, it sickens me sometimes to see the way that these, I mean, it could be, I don't know if it's celebrities or people on social media, or it could be, you know, politicians, but they just bowed down to the pressure of politics. They want to be politically correct because they're afraid. They're afraid of what men might say. They're afraid of, you know, being canceled. They're afraid of the culture. I mean, you should be afraid of God. Because one day, you're going to stand before God and all your godless, anti-family jargon that they speak, think about that. But that can happen. I mean, if someone asks me, what, what do I think the Bible teaches on you know, sexuality? Or what does the Bible teach on, on life? Or what does the Bible teach on these issues? I'm not going to back down. Sometimes, you know, the, some of these Christians, they kind of like, you know, try to play dance and foot loose and dance around the issues shouldn't. Then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Now, literally, it says what to say and how to say it. That's how much Jesus was under the submission of his Father because his Father told him what to say and even how to say it is pretty cool. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And, and why is the Lord saying this right here? Um, when he didn't come to judge, he came to save. And we're still in that season. You know, whoever you are here, you know, you might be upset, you know, at Jesus the judge. But but understand right now he's not he's not that. Right now he's Jesus the, the Lamb, he's Jesus the lover of your soul. He comes in gentleness and meekness. He rides into town on a donkey. He's not on this white stallion yet. He's not there yet. 
He offers himself to you because he loves you. You know, he tells him, hey, if you believe in me, you don't believe in me. You're believing in my father. My father's the one that sent me. Why is he telling them that? He's telling them that because he wants them to believe so much that this is truth from the top. I was sent by God because he wants them to believe. We're living in a crazy world. Crazy what's going on out there and the lies that are being taught to our children and the social media and the, the news. I mean, you can watch any of these news guys and you know there is an agenda. You know that, huh? The only way to be able to break free from, you name it, the messages of Hollywood or anywhere else is by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he's done everything he can to, to bring us to that place of believing. And so I pray today um, that you guys would know his love, that you, it's a personal decision. You know, I don't know all of you guys here, but there might just be one person here whose life is hanging in the balance. And today is the day that you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It might be two. It might be more. You may have been here a thousand times. But today is the day where God wants to do something deep and real for the first time. So we have to examine our life. And as we have communion today, I pray that we would do that. Pray that we would do that. Lord.